it's very important. And what I'm doing is I'm doing 100 scientific facts of the Bible. Reason being is I want people to see that science has been the one catching up to what Scripture's already been put in place when God wrote it. And the whole point of why I'm doing this series is because it's important for us because that's a lot of where people are attacked as Christians is when it comes to creation because if people say that God did not create everything, if they don't believe that, then they won't believe anything else in Scripture at all. So this is where your foundation is. So that's why I'm going to be doing this. There's going to be roughly 33 points the next three weeks. Really, all I would have to do is read Genesis 1-1 and we could settle the matter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why did God put that there? The very first verse in the Bible. Because God sets the tone and scope of the entire truth of His Word right there. The truth is that He established Himself as the Creator. And we in all things of this universe are the created by Him. And our purpose is to love and to worship Him. Psalm 19, 1-4 said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Now we know there's a mystery of how the universe works. We're never going to figure it out, no matter how hard we try. But there is no mystery of what the universe is for. God said it's to declare His glory. Now we know that the distance from earth to the edge of the observable universe is about 14 gigaparsecs, which is 46 billion light years in any direction. That's how far human beings can observe right now. Now you have to remember that one light year is roughly six trillion miles. Trillion. So now multiply that six trillion times 46 billion. And then you get an idea of how far the reach of just the observable universe is to us. Now just imagine what's beyond that that we can't see. God gave us the universe to show that no doubt should be in our minds when we see the heavens and the earth, that we should know who our Creator is. But of course most people don't. Man is searching for an end to the cosmos that he will never find. God told us, He put it there for us as a display of His glory. But man, in our sinful nature, that's not enough. Jeremiah 10.12 says, He has made the earth by His power. He has established the world by His wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at His discretion. Job 9.8 says, He alone stretches out the heavens. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God says even though He's invisible, He's given us everything to see. So we are without excuse to see His handiwork. As we start in this list, number one, the earth free floats in space. 
affected only by gravity. Ancient scientific sources declared that the earth sat on the back of an elephant or a turtle or was held up by Atlas or some other mystical creature. The Bible alone states what we know now to be true. Job 26.7 And we know Job is one of the oldest books in Scripture. Job 26.7 said, He stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Science had to catch up. Number two. Creation is made of particles indiscernible to our eyes, which we know. But it wasn't until the 19th century that it was discovered that all visible matter consists of invisible elements. Hebrews was written roughly 2,000 years ago, and they had no idea cells, particles, or atoms existed. Now, Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we see the world called into existence by God's word, what we see created by what we don't see. Hebrews 1.2 says, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. And then John 1.3 says, Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. They're now starting to figure out cells, atoms, particles, but they still refuse to believe that it's a creation of God. Number three, the Bible specifies the perfect dimensions for a stable water vessel. Shipbuilders today are well aware that the ideal dimension for ship stability is a length six times that of the width. So keep in mind, God told Noah the ideal dimensions for the ark 4,500 years ago. Genesis 6.15, this is how you are to build it, the Lord said. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. That is about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. And as we know, it didn't sink. Number four, when dealing with disease, clothes and bodies should be washed under running water. We know this. This is common knowledge to us. But centuries ago, people were naive and they washed things in standing water. Over and over again. Today we recognize the need to wash away germs with fresh water. Leviticus 15.13 says, He had an issue, is cleansed of his issue. Then he shall number to himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes and bathe his body in running water and, and shall be clean. It says right there, running water. And number five, this ties in, sanitation guidelines were introduced also in Scripture. Some 3,500 years ago, God commanded his people to have a place outside the camp where they could relieve themselves. They were to each carry a shovel so that they could dig a hole and cover up their waist. And up to World War I, more soldiers died from disease than, in, than war because they did not isolate human waste. And we know in the Middle Ages, what did they do? They just threw it right out the window into the street. But all they had to do was read Scripture. Deuteronomy 23, 12-13 says, Designate a place outside the camp where you can go to relieve yourself. As a part of your equipment, have something to dig with. And when you relieve yourself, dig a hole and cover up your excrement. Scripture said it thousands and thousands of years ago. But did people pay attention? No. So let's switch gears. Number six. In the oceans. They contain springs. Underneath the ocean depths. The ocean is very deep, which we know. The lowest point is seven miles deep. Almost all the ocean floor is in total darkness, and the pressure there is enormous. 
it would have been impossible for Job to have explored these springs of the sea. That's why God asked him this in Job. Until recently, it was thought that oceans were fed only by rivers and rain. Yet in the 1970s, with the help of deep diving research submarines that were constructed to withstand 6,000 pounds per square inch of pressure, oceanographers discovered springs on the ocean floor. This was 40 years ago. Now Job 38.16, which was thousands and thousands of years ago, God said, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? I think science could learn a whole lot if they read scripture. Save themselves a lot of time and a lot of money. Number seven, there are mountains on the bottom of the ocean floor. Only in the last century have we discovered that there are towering mountains and deep trenches in the depths of the sea. This didn't happen until sonar was invented. But in Jonah 2, 5 and 6, we know the story of Jonah. It says, The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Number eight. Joy and gladness are understood. Evolution cannot explain emotions. It cannot. Well, it can't explain transitional fossils either because there are none. Matter and energy do not feel. Scripture explains that God places gladness in our hearts. And ultimate joy is found only in our Creator's presence. Acts 14.17 says, Yet He has not left Himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Psalm 4.7 says, You have put gladness in my heart. Psalm 16.11 says, You will show me the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 21.6 Surely you have granted him unending blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. What happens and what you guys will run into when people start talking about evolution against God's creation is they'll use a lot of circular reasoning. And one thing that they will always come at you with is say, well, who created God? Well, God, if God created everything, like you say, well, who created God? Well, we know from Scripture that God created everything out of nothing. God is the creator. He has always been. That's one of the things that we will never comprehend or understand. And the reason being is because we are created beings. Something that's created can never understand fully the creator. We just can't. I just know that when I look outside or when I see my children or I see all the functions of my hand or any functions of my body, I know that I was created so that each function would perform the way that it was supposed to. I didn't just come together randomly. You explain to me how evolution works and have you observed it? They haven't observed anything. They just use time to spread it out. Well, we're, we're in transition right now. Really? Okay, well, how come none of us evolved into anything? Well, it takes millions of years. Well, I don't have millions of years. Why don't you explain it to me now? So what you have to do is you have to Get them out of that circular reasoning because they'll keep going back to the same points and the same questions. And that's what they'll try to get you caught up with. And the reason they do that is they get you frustrated so that you'll stop or that you'll give in. And then it makes them think that they've won 
they're, they're arguing with you. So what you have to do is not do that. You have to break that circle of, of wrong reasoning that they have. Take them to Scripture. Even some of these little ones say, look, when does science discover this? Like right here, number nine. Blood is the source of life and health. Up till 120 years ago, sick people were bled, and many died as a result. George Washington is the one that comes to mind. They bled him to death because he was sick. They always thought that bleeding somebody, basically they would cut an artery in their wrist and let them bleed. Because they thought that that would heal them. It was getting the sickness out of them. Today we know that healthy blood is necessary to bring life-giving nutrients to every cell in the body. And we know that we have an immune system. They didn't know about an immune system back then. God declared that life of the flesh is in the blood long ago before science understood its function. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Why did it take them so long to catch up? Scripture says it right there. Number 10, the Bible states that God created life according to kinds. The fact that God distinguishes kinds agrees with what scientists observe. Namely, that there are horizontal genetic boundaries between or beyond which life cannot vary. Life produces after its own kind, right? Dogs produce dogs. Cats produce cats. Roses produce roses. Never have we witnessed one kind changing into another kind as evolution supposes. They're so-called transitional creatures. There are truly natural limits to biological change set forth by God the Creator. Genesis 1.24, he starts, and I'll read some of the other verses. He said, And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems and it moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. One day. One day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them Male and female, he created them. We did not come from some primordial ooze, like they say. These animals, all these creatures, God created them whole. He created Adam whole out of the dust of the earth. He created Eve from the side of Adam. And God put the capacity in each of those creatures to procreate. That's the natural function of God's creation. Be fruitful and multiply. Number 11, self-sacrificing behaviors understood. You know, the Bible and history, they reveal to us countless people who've endangered themselves or even sacrificed their lives for one another. We've seen that. 
This reality is completely at odds with Darwin's theory of the survival of the fittest. If you're only looking out for yourself, you don't care about anybody else. That's not how we were all created. But when sin corrupted us, it had an effect on the world, on nature, and everything else. It's all intertwined. Sin affects everything. But then Jesus Christ is our greatest example of a self-sacrifice. John fifteen thirteen: Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Romans 5, 7, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In John ten eleven, I am the good shepherd, Christ said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. There's no survival of the fittest. We're to love one another. To love one another is not survival of the fittest. It's the exact opposite. It's taking care of one another. And number 12, the chicken and egg dilemma has been solved. Which came first, chicken or the egg? And this question has truly plagued philosophers for centuries. The Bible states God created birds with the ability to reproduce after their kind. Therefore, the chicken was created first with the ability to make eggs. That's not too tough. Yet evolution has no solution for this dilemma. Genesis 1.20-22 And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and it moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. He created them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. He didn't lay eggs across the ground and wait for them to hatch. Tied in with that, number 13, which came first, proteins or DNA? For evolutionists, the chicken or egg dilemma goes even deeper than which came first. Because chickens consist of proteins. The code for each protein is contained in the DNA slash RNA system. However, proteins are required in order to manufacture DNA. So which came first, proteins or DNA? The only explanation is that they were created together. And why does that make sense? Because God created his creatures whole. They weren't partial. They weren't transitional. They were created whole. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. Number 14, our bodies are made from the dust of the ground. Scientists have discovered that, hu that the human body is comprised of some 28 base and trace elements all of which are found in the earth. Coincidence? I think not. Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Genesis 3.19, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. Job 10.9, Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? Ecclesiastes 12.7 And the dust returned to the ground it came from and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. So if we don't believe that we came from the dust of the ground, if we don't believe Adam was created exactly how God said he was created, then we don't believe anything else God is saying. Because if you don't believe where you came from, you're not going to believe where you finish. 
You're not. 15. The first law of thermodynamics is established. The first law states that the total quantity of energy and matter in the universe is a constant. Scientists will agree with this 100%. One form of energy or matter may be converted into another, but the total quantity always remains the same. Therefore, the creation is finished, exactly as God said way back in Genesis. Genesis 2, 1 through 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. God said, I created it. It's finished. The seventh day is for rest. They just can't make the connection. 16. The first three verses of Genesis accurately express all known aspects of the creation. Science expresses the universe in terms of time, space, matter, and energy. In Genesis chapter 1 we read, In the beginning, which is time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. Then God said, Let there be light, energy. No other creation account agrees with the observable science. I think part of it is because of the pride in their intelligence, they think that it's too simple. And that's part of why they insult our intelligence by saying, you're weak-minded. The science is here. Well, no, science always changes, and we know God never does. Number 17, the universe had a beginning, which we know in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. Starting with the studies of Albert Einstein in the early 1900s and continuing today, science has confirmed the biblical view that the universe had a beginning. When the Bible is written, most people believe the universe was eternal. Science has proven them wrong, but the Bible correct. Hebrews 1, 10-12 says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. Remember uh, how they used to teach that the earth was flat? But number 18, the earth is a sphere. At a time when many thought the earth was flat, the Bible told us that the earth is spherical. Isaiah 40, 22. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and his people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. How in the world would Isaiah know that the earth was a sphere? Or a circle. How would he know that? He couldn't see it. 19. Scripture assumes a revolving earth. Jesus said that at his return, some would be asleep at night while others would be working at daytime activities in the field. This is a clear indication of a revolving earth. And day and night occurring simultaneously. Luke 17. Luke 17, 34-36. Jesus says, I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed... One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other left. He's talking about two occurrences. One at night, one during the day. This can only be explained by a revolving earth. Number 20, origin of the rainbow explained. We know this. You guys know the story of Noah. Prior to the flood, there was a different environment on the earth. I believe that there was a water canopy because of what scripture says. Genesis 9, 13-16 says, I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant 
between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Wherever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. That doesn't mean that God forgets. That sign's there for us, so we remember. Genesis 2, 5 and 6 says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. There was no rain before the flood. Scripture says it right there. You know the dew of the morning? That's what watered the plants. A lot of Christian scientists say that we had, it was like a greenhouse is basically what the earth was. Number 21, light can be divided. Sir Isaac Newton studied light and discovered that white light is made of seven colors. And you know when you see a prism, how it can be broken up into these different colors. And he says they can be parted and then recombined. Science confirmed this four centuries ago. God declared this four millennia ago. In Job 38.24, it says, What is the way to the place where the light is divided, or the east wind spread over the earth? Number 22, ocean currents were anticipated. 3,000 years ago, the Bible described the paths of the seas. In the 19th century, Matthew Morey, the father of oceanography, after reading Psalm 8, smart scientist right there, researched and discovered ocean currents that follow specific paths through the seas. Utilizing Morey's data, marine navigators have since reduced by many days the time required to traverse the the seas. Psalm 8, eight says, The fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. The man read scripture and figured it out. And now he's called the father of oceanography. If only now scientists would do the same. 23. Sexual promiscuity is dangerous to your health. I think we all know this. The Bible warns that he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And that those who commit homosexual sin would receive in themselves the penalty of their error. That's what scripture says. It is what it is. If God says it, we go with it. Much data now confirms that any sexual relationship outside of holy matrimony is unsafe. It doesn't mean just homosexual. It's heterosexual too. Any sex outside of marriage or any homosexual sex, is a sin. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. That means it's going to damage you. It doesn't matter what type of sex it is. Heterosexual, homosexual, whatever. It will harm you. Physically. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Hebrews 13.4 Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. In Romans 1.27 In the same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. People hate talking about it. And they think that God is not as loving. 
But he is. Homosexuals are just sinners like the rest of us. That's just their sin. We all have our own sins and none is greater than the other. And that's what people have to realize. It doesn't mean we don't love them. It doesn't mean that we wouldn't welcome them to come and hear about Jesus Christ. But we will not let people live in their sin. None of us should. We're all guilty. And to tie in with that, reproduction was explained. That's the whole point of men and women. God wanted us to produce and multiply. While evolution has no mechanism to explain how male and female reproductive organs evolved at the same time, we know God made male and female in order to propagate the human race and animal kinds. Genesis 1, 27-28. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God He created them. Male and female He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. But people don't want to do that now. Same sexes want to live together. People, people want to have abortions. We're going against what God intended for the human race. And don't give me that crap about us being able to overpopulate the earth. All 7 billion people on this planet can fit inside the city of Jacksonville. Comfortably. Twice. So, I don't buy that. Even driving through here, you know there's a lot of land. With no people on it. Genesis 2.24 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Number 25 Back to the universe. They try to calculate the number of stars, but we can't. At a time when less than 5,000 stars were visible to the human eye, God stated that the stars of heaven were innumerable. Not until the 17th century did Galileo glimpse the immensity of our universe with his new telescope. Today, astronomers estimate that there are 10,000 billion trillion stars. That's a one followed by 25 zeros. That's their estimation. And you've got to remember, that's also the observable universe. Yet, as the Bible states, scientists admit this number may be woefully inadequate. So, they don't, so basically, in a nutshell, they're saying we don't know. Jeremiah 33.22 says, I will make the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars in the sky and as measureless as the sand on the seashore. He was making a point. Basically, it's saying the descendants of David will be so many you won't be able to count them. 26. The number of stars, though vast, are, are finite. Although man is unable to calculate the exact number of stars, we know their number is finite. Of course, God knew this all along. Now, how can we say that? Well, because God says He, it says he counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Psalm 147.4. So God knows their number, just like He knows ours. Just like He knows every hair on your head or lack thereof we serve an awesome God and you got to see his majesty that's why creation's here so we can see that majesty Isaiah 40 26 says lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these he who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength not one of them is missing Nehemiah 9.6 says, You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth, and all that is on it, the seas, and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. 27. The Bible compares the number of stars with the number of grains of sand on the seashore. Amazingly, gross estimates of the number of, of sand grains are comparable to the estimated number of stars in the universe by scientific calculations. Genesis twenty two seventeen says, 
I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Hebrews 11.12 And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So now we'll get into the last five. Number 28. Rejecting the Creator results in moral depravity. But only if you're a Christian do you realize this. The Bible warns that when mankind rejects the overwhelming evidence for a Creator, lawlessness will result. Since the theory of evolution has swept the globe, abortion, pornography, genocide, etc. have all risen sharply. There's no coincidences. And even in the time of Paul, if you read Romans 1, 18-32, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like immortal human beings and birds and reptiles and animals. So what happened? Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. So that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, and no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Hello, United States of America today. And we approve it. We approve of a president that lies. And all of the people who are in his cabinet that lie. Flat out lie. That used to be a big no-no. People here wouldn't have stood for that. We saw what happened with Nixon. Watergate took him down. And this was nothing compared to the stuff that's going on nowadays. And I'm not just saying with Obama, even with Bush and Clinton before him. They all get away with this, and we let them. Number 29, the fact that God once flooded the earth would be denied. That is one big sticking point for evolutionists. They will flat out say there was no flood. Even though you could take them outside in a cup of water, throw it in some dirt, watch it erode, and say, look how fast that washed that away. And then show them a picture of the Grand Canyon. Doesn't that kind of look the same? No. Not to them. There is a mass of fossil evidence to prove this fact. It is flatly ignored by most of the scientific world because it was God's judgment on man's wickedness. 
Because if they believe in the flood, they have to also believe that they're a sinner. Because that's who God wiped out, aside from Noah and his family. 2 Peter 3, 3-6 Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? Where is your God? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Number 30. This also ties in with the flood. Fossil deposits anticipated. When plants and animals die, they decompose rapidly. Yet billions of life forms around the globe have been preserved as fossils. Geologists now know that fossils only form if there is rapid deposition of life buried away from scavengers and bacteria. Hmm. This agrees exactly with what the Bible says occurred during the global flood. Genesis 7, 20-23 says, The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on the land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swam over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Pretty self-explanatory. They were all buried. 31. The continents were created as one large landmass. Many geologists agree there is strong evidence that the earth was originally one supercontinent, just as the Bible said way back in Genesis. God, God said in Genesis 1, 9 and 10, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called sea, and God saw that was good. What happened to this land mass? It broke up. And it got filled in with water. When God caused that flood... And he unleashed from the heavens and he broke up the depths of the sea. And then the springs of the deep shot up. 32. Continental drift inferred. Today the study of ocean floor indicates that the land masses have been ripped apart. Scripture states that during the global flood the fountains of the great deep were broken up. This cataclysmic event apparently resulted in the continental plates breaking and shifting. Genesis 7.11 In the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. Not my words, it says it right there in Scripture. And then lastly, number 33. It also talked about an ice age. Prior to the global flood, the earth was apparently subtropical. Basically this greenhouse. However, shortly after the flood, the Bible mentions ice often, such as by the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen. Evidently, the ice age occurred in the centuries following the flood, which makes sense. But it said way back in Job 38, 29 through 30, from whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? In Job 37.10, the breath of God produces ice and the broad waters become frozen. Scripture tells us. Scripture confirms everything that science keeps trying to catch up with. A lost person's view is that 
if they admit that God is a creator, then they admit that they're a sinner and that they have moral accountability to somebody and they don't want to.